BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Where we start today. What is the president-elect up to that is more important than getting the daily intelligence briefings. And let's put it in context. First of all, President Obama, yep, he's in Hawaii. He's on vacation. Flat out, no bones about it. He's on vacation for two weeks, right? He's playing golf. He's going to the beach with his family. He's out to dinner with friends. He's reading a pile of books he took with him. He's on vacation. And yet, because as a White House reporter, I get the daily uh, activities of the president ahead of time. And yet, we know that he is still taking time every day for the daily intelligence briefing and that he was given a special briefing after the terrorist attack in Berlin and the truck that plowed into that Christmas market. What do you think about Donald Trump? Is he getting the daily briefings? We don't know, but the answer is probably not because he says he doesn't need them. He just knows what's going on automatically. And if World War III is about to start, they can call him and in a minute he'll be there. But otherwise, don't bother me with the daily intelligence briefings. We do not know. I mean, we can't say for sure that he did not, but having boasted about the fact that he doesn't need the daily briefings, we can be pretty damn sure that this week, with everything we've seen around the world, that still Donald Trump has not gone to a daily briefing or has not received a daily briefing on what happened. And look at, look at, look at what has happened. We have a terrorist attack, as I mentioned, in Berlin, truck plowing into a, into a crowded, Christmas market, great tradition there uh, in Germany and all over Europe. I've been to markets like that in Marseille and in Paris and in New York and here in Washington um, and, uh, and kill, killing 12 people. We have a lone gunman in Ankara, Turkey, a bold, brazen attack on the Russian ambassador there with this young security man, a, a police officer. Police officer, yeah who knows how to do it, got the gun, has got the uniform, meaning got the little badge that identifies him, is able to get into that event, stand on the stage in back of the ambassador while he's speaking, and then plows several, several shots into his back and even more as the man is lying on the floor, uh, outraged by Russia's involvement in Syria uh, and its backing of Bashar al-Assad and its bombing of Sy Sy Syrian civilians. And then we've got a gunman who uh, enters a house of prayer, a Muslim house of prayer, a mosque, if you will, in Zurich, uh, and wounds, I think, two or three, th three people, I believe, before uh, killing himself uh, nearby. All three of those incidents, very troubling. 
Uh, and what does Donald Trump do? Again, President Obama gets his, it gets his daily intelligence brief. It gets a, a special intelligence briefing on what happened in each one of those cases. Donald Trump, so far as we know, the White House has not said whether he went or not, but again, bragging that he doesn't need the daily briefings. We can be pretty sure he didn't go. And instead, he just tweets out that uh, all of these are radical Islamic terrorism, right? All three of them. This is before these countries have even said exactly what happened. In Germany now, it's even before they have, and they have declared this an act of terror, but before they even have the suspect. They thought they had the guy, but they didn't. They had to release him. So before those countries, the law enforcement officials of the countries even have told us what has happened, Donald Trump is out there asserting that it's Islamic, radical Islamic terrorism. As, as Senator uh, Angus King from Maine yesterday told Chris Cuomo on CNN, uh, the guy is just, um, you know, he, he just looks for these simple answers which are not necessarily what happened. Problem is, Chris, that simple answers to complicated questions are usually wrong. And in this case, it appears that, number one, we don't really know the facts, so it's premature to come to a conclusion. But number two, it appears that the attack in Turkey on the Russian ambassador wasn't a religious attack, but was a political one, uh, revenge for what's going on in Aleppo. Yeah, right. Uh, there is a difference, right? And as Angus King points out, uh, that... Um, you know, Donald Trump simply has his facts wrong. To, to say they're both Islamic uh, jihadist attacks, I just don't think is correct factually. And uh, the one in Berlin, yes, that appears to be. The one in Zurich was an attack on an A Islamic mosque. mosque. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's a... Uh, it's a complicated situation, and, and just to say it's all Islamic terrorism, I think, uh, is, is A, not the correct answer, as I said, and B, will only inflame tensions and could conceivably make them worse. Well said, uh, Senator, Senator King. But so it's troubling, to say the least, it's troubling to think that the future leader of the free world doesn't even take the time to determine the facts, to learn the facts before he spouts off on 140 characters or less on Twitter. And instead, what's he all about? He's out there tweeting, for the most part, about attacking Bill Clinton for claiming that Bill Clinton claimed... Uh, uh, he said this whole silly little twit with Bill Clinton about who called whom, right? Oh, yeah. Bill, so Bill Clinton said, yeah, Donald Trump called me, uh, da, 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 and we talked about this, and, and Trump said, no, 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 I didn't call him. He called me. Let's get it straight. And they've got this little, this is silly of picking a fight with Bill Clinton over this. I mean, where the world is burning up, right? Things are falling apart. Serious, serious terrorist attacks uh, from for our, our uh, with our allies, and Donald Trump is worrying about who called, whether Bill Clinton called him or he called Bill Clinton. I mean, get real. I have a nine-year-old child, almost nine-year-old child, and we're in this phase now where I'll say, I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your room. Then I go, I've asked you like six times now. Could you please clean yeah. your room? And he's like, actually, you only asked me three or four times. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, that's hardly the point, right? So this is like... Yeah. Dealing yeah. with a young child. It's hardly the point that Bill Clinton called you versus you called Bill Clinton. Who cares? Who cares? Right. 
We do care what happens in Berlin, what happened in Berlin. We do care what the impact of that assassination will have on relations between Russia and Turkey and Syria. And why did they have a big meeting yesterday uh, in Moscow to discuss what they're going to do about Syria? A meeting between Syria and uh, Turkey and Russia, all three world, all three leaders there, and the United States was not invited, and the United Nations was not involved. Maybe that's a more serious issue, right? The reverberations from that terrorist attack and that assassination, maybe those are more serious issues than whether he called Bill Clinton or Bill Clinton called him. Dare I suggest that there are more important things that Donald Trump ought to be thinking about? And don't you think if ever now is the time for Trump? I knew it for Donald Trump to get his intelligence briefings to finish that sentence. I knew that at some point when Donald Trump, after he had taken the oath of office, things would get so dicey, right? There'd be so many crises that even the White House would have to acknowledge, we'd better get these daily briefings because, damn it, they are important after all. Well, we didn't have to wait that long. Right now, we've got all the evidence we need. And I would hope that the White House would see and Donald Trump would see why these daily intelligence briefings are so important. Even though the Senate is out of town, we give Niels Lesniewski from Roll Call. Mm. I've stumbled over that name. Sorry about that. Uh, we never give him any rest. We've dragged him in here this morning to bring us up to date on what news there is out of the Congress alone. Uh, Niels, nice to see you. Good to see you. So, Niels, um, I wanted to uh, you cover the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell said something yesterday, Jamie that uh, we thought was, um, first of all, surprising uh, and also very honest and maybe and very candid, which may be unusual coming from Mitch McConnell. But he was asked, so were you surprised by the results of November 8? Here he is. I honestly thought we wouldn't hold the U.S. Senate. I thought we'd come up short, and I didn't think President Trump had a chance of winning. <laughs> now, did you hear that from Republican senators before November 8th, that they really thought they were going to lose the whole enchilada? Well, to be honest, they were preparing as if they were going to lose the whole enchilada. If you, if you, you know, you talked to them or you were, they were working behind the scenes, there were lots of staffers who were already looking for other jobs for senators <laughs> who really? they assumed were going to lose. Ron John I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago about Ron Johnson up in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um <coughs> oh he was toast. He Russ was, Feingold was yeah, yeah. Feingold was up by eleven points at one point and then and then and then and then Ron Johnson uh held on and what he said, uh what he told me after the fact a couple of weeks after the election, which was actually kind of sounded really would have sounded really strange before the election but after the election it was like well that kind of matches everything else that nobody understood he said i basically operated my own focus group where i just went around and said what i thought was going to work and and the punt like the the republican mm -hmm. consultants kept telling me to spend all this money on tv ads and all this other sort of stuff and uh he was basically like i kind of I kind of knew that I was getting bad advice, and so I didn't take it. Yeah, right. But overall, uh, the senators sort of felt that they were not only – nobody thought that they'd win the White House, right? I mean, nobody. nobody. I understand that. But 
Uh, but even that the fact that Mitch McConnell was prepared to step down and thought that he was going to have to as a majority leader in the Senate, I found a little, little, little surprising. I, I also think it shows just how big of a gamble McConnell took <laughs> with <laughs> shutting down Obama's Supreme Court pick. I mean, that was the gamble of the century in terms of politics. He, he, I'm not sure that he had a game plan, and we hear now that, that, that his game plan might not have been as solid as he thought it was, but it paid off. Yeah, I mean, I the I I always have sort of con- to to use the the gambling analogy. I always have sort of compared that to going to the roulette wheel and putting all of your money on green, <laughs> um, because it it always sort of seemed like it could pay off. But 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 in hindsight, maybe if he if he was so sure that he was going to lose, or he seemed so he didn't think he was going to win. That maybe uh, it was a gamble that had no consequences. Because what really have you lost if you lose that bet? If you're right. assuming you're going to yeah. lose the bet, right? What's what's could possibly be you know worse than well we lost the election and we weren't. He basically was suggesting that we weren't going to they weren't going to lose it because of the Supreme Court that yeah. they were going to lose it anyway. And whatever, whether it was brilliant or just lucky, it certainly it certainly paid off for him. So now, uh, so the it's what four, fifty-two Republicans, correct? Yeah, 40, it's, it's forty-six 50, Democrats and two independents. And two independents, and that's Bernie Sanders. Who and so Bernie Sanders and Angus King, who are neither one of them is going to be uh, switching sides anytime soon. These aren't like these these uh, aren't like yeah. these kind of independents who sometimes will meander to the other party <laughs> depending on what way the wind's blowing there but it's significant that bernie went from uh, being a democrat back to being an independent where he's really more comfortable i believe um now given with that makeup their big challenge once they come back uh in january will be the nominations the president-elect has made to his cabinet um Let's start with a couple of the big ones. Uh, Jeff Sessions, a member of the Senate, Republican member of the Senate, long time, what, 20 years or so, right? Right. Um, not the Democrats' favorite, for sure, on some issues like voting rights, for example. Um, but uh, what are do you think, will he have any difficulties getting confirmed? So Sessions is maybe the most interesting case because in some ways he's in – almost the least trouble. It's like the greatest disconnect between what happens if you are out in the country and you are reading uh, these stories about actions that Sessions may have made decades ago or comments he may have made decades ago that were uh, viewed by many as racially inflammatory. But... And like the fact, the fact that, he was, that he used to like the KKK until he found out some of them smoked pot. And he was literally rejected uh, to be a federal yeah. judge decades ago by the Senate. Um, but but there is this sort of thing in the Senate where courtesy is given to members and usually former members of the body uh, that sort of puts Sessions in a – he's going to get far more deference, I would say – than if you had literally plucked a general or a U.S. attorney somewhere mm-hmm. who had had the same track record as Sessions um, would probably get less deference than him. Right. But he will get, you know, please, 
give me some consolation. <laughs> he, he will get some tough. He will get some tough questions, right? I would hope. Uh, oh, absolutely. Those those uh, judiciary committee hearings, which I think are set for the tenth and the eleventh of January, oh, already set. I didn't know. Um, are going to be must see are going to mm. sort of be must see C-SPAN yeah. uh, as it were <laughs> and the, I mean the biggest thing is is that they're, they're, I'm sure the Democrats will go through the record but I think that more importantly knowing that you know barring some crazy revelation we haven't seen yet he's going to get confirmed the biggest thing for, for, for Dianne Feinstein and Patrick Leahy and the other Democrats on the committee will be to get sessions to commit or try to get sessions to commit to things on voting rights to things on what the civil rights division is going to do um and those sorts of things and i think that rather than sort of picking apart uh sessions record that you would do if you were really going to derail somebody it's trying to get some commitment about what he will do at doj right moving forward that 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 he will not be as extreme as people as people feel A lot of finger pointing among Democrats trying to figure out what happened and who's responsible. Uh, and um, as reported by our friend Aswin Subsang from the Daily Beast, and now some of the Bernie people are saying about the Clinton campaign, we told you so, we told you there were some areas you were ignoring. And Aswin Subsang, speak of the devil, here he is in studio with us this morning. Hi, Aswin, nice to see you. Nice to see you as Happy well. Happy holidays. You're, you're still Happy working. Holidays, Everybody else is kind of kicked back, taking off. You're still at it, man. You know? No rest for the wicked. Is that what it is? Yeah, until next year when the Trump regime actually begins. The war on Christmas is still active, so I'm, I'm busy waging it. Happy holidays. Everybody work through the 25th. <laughs> okay. Perfect. So what are, what are the Sanders people telling you? Well, um, as I reported my story uh, at thedailybeast.com, um, it's not just that the Sanders people have been saying, we told you so to the Clinton campaign. They've been saying that all along, and they have especially been ramping that up uh, post-election night when Hillary tanked and Donald Trump became you know, the next leader of the free world. Uh, but this story is specifically about how people uh, from Team Bernie, not, not, not like crazy randos, but hardened, experienced, seasoned organizers in the swing states that cost her the White House, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, were offering to help the campaign, saying, look, you... Let me understand. These are Sanders supporters in those states. Uh, Some of them are, yes. Okay. And they're not uh, just supporters. They were organizers with the campaign. They were surrogates. They were uh, part of uh, Team Bernie Sanders during Mm -hmm. the primary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Saying that, look, uh, Hillary Clinton has these major gaps in these three critical states, and among these various groups, these voters, and if she does not address this, she's going to lose. And the Bernie Sanders campaign wasn't talking about this from a place of uh, just blind hypotheticals. Uh, they beat her in Michigan, which her polling and so many uh, election uh, pundits and various media observers said she was basically destined to win during the primary. Yes. And Bernie Sanders emerged victorious during the Michigan primary. And as we all know now, Donald Trump won Michigan, which was one of the three major states that uh, didn't cost Bernie Hillary win Wisconsin. Also, I actually forget. I actually forget. Uh, okay. we, we we should fact check that. Okay, let's we'll fact check it while you're talking. Um, we have fact checkers out there, an <laughs> army of fact checkers. One of them sitting right here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sure. Bernie won Wisconsin. I, I was pretty sure he did, yeah. yeah. But was more or less expected to win Wisconsin, but Michigan was a surprise. It was an actual upset. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So, um, and Hillary the won Pennsylvania. T- yes, I believe so. Yes. And yes, the people no talking to me about this um, in recent days and weeks were saying that uh, they were like screaming from the hilltops for months that you need to listen to us on this, and they were uh, predictably rebuffed by Hillary Clinton's campaign. So this is yet another uh, brick in the road to um, to post-mortemville of the mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, well, th- this is their take on a part of what went wrong. Well, I might add that Debbie Dingell, a congresswoman from mm-hmm. Michigan, uh, who was uh, our guest, I think, last week or the week before, uh, made that very point, and she said, and and I remember on our show during the primary, she was saying, "I'm warning. I've been warning the Clinton people. They've got to spend more time in Michigan. They have to uh, adjust their message. They're not mm-hmm. talking to my people, to the people of Michigan." Uh, and when she was on just a week or so ago, and she she basically was saying the same thing. Look, I warned them. I told them. They just didn't listen. To me, it sounds like she's saying the same thing. And the point I'm making is that the Bernie Sanders people told you. Uh, yes, the, which the, included uh, Robert Becker, who's uh, headed up uh, Bernie's primary operations in Michigan and Iowa and uh, several other states. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked about how he reached out um, to offer his help and his services uh, for Hillary Clinton's campaign during the general. And in his words, he was, quote, unquote, quite frankly, um, end quote, not surprised that uh, th- they didn't reach back. There was no outreach to him. But he did mention that three weeks out from Election Day, he got a call from someone in the DNC um, extremely worried about Michigan. So so uh, these these are not just concerns among, like, bitter Bernie Sanders people who are like, oh, no, why didn't I get a job in the Hillary Clinton campaign? This seems to fit pretty neatly with, uh, as you were saying, um, a lot of um, red flags that were raised and concerns, grave concerns that were raised up until the day Donald Trump won. And it turns out that, um, yeah, by by very slim margins in just three states, just about like 90,000, 100,000 votes, that's what gave us President Trump. Out of 138 million votes cast. Um, I was at President Obama's news conference last Friday where uh, the president... <laughs> Uh, indirectly, if you will, uh, may, had the, the voiced the same criticism. But the way he put it was um, that he said in his elections, uh, he cast a very wide net, mm-hmm. and that's what Democrats had to do. Uh, and, and he phrased it in another way, saying that there are communities where the Democratic policies and programs have really helped Working class Americans, they're, they're, they're our pos- they're, they're, we're the ones that have helped people in these communities, and yet they don't know it. And he said, "So we have to be in those communities with our message." In both of those, in both those statements, he seemed to be saying, "I thought was very clearly saying, I was there in my mm. campaigns; she was not." He was even more blunt about it in uh, the day or the days directly following Hillary Clinton's. Um, uh, general election defeat when he had that press conference uh, from the White House. And he was asked a similar question. And he said the exact same thing, I think, in more blunt terms, basically throwing shade at the Hillary Clinton campaign mm-hmm. and perhaps even Hillary Clinton herself. Um, the uh, And also 
not just Obama himself, but the way the campaign and the way uh, the campaign's allies were run in 2012 during Barack Obama's reelection campaign, uh, they were very clear early on why you should not vote for Mitt Romney, even before the real fight even began during the primary. They painted Mitt Romney as the guy who's going to ship your job overseas and the out of touch elitist. Right. Yes, and Paul Ryan is going to throw your and the rest of the Republicans are going to throw your granny over the cliff and take away old people's health care. Like this, um, and a lot of the criticism I'm hearing about uh, Team Hillary and her um, um, uh, campaign allies' strategy, uh, especially in the home stretch, was Donald Trump said a bad word. Not necessarily how a Trump administration is going to make life worse for you mm -hmm. when it comes to your job, your health care, your livelihood, et cetera, et cetera, but that he's a vulgar bad man, which is all true, but right. you probably need a little bit more than that, especially if you're running with a candidate as deeply unpopular as Hillary Clinton. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Uh, particularly interesting here at the top of this hour, uh, what we can expect from a Donald Trump administration foreign policy. It's not going to look like Barack Obama's foreign policy, that's for sure. <laughs> and we'll get into that with our guest. Jessica Schulberg is the foreign affairs reporter from Huffington Post. We have a terrorist attack in Berlin. We've got China stealing one of our drones. We've got an assassination in Ankara. We've got a, uh, an attack on a mosque in, in, uh, in Zurich. Is the president-elect aware of all of this, and is he attending or getting his daily intelligence briefings? You know, it's it's hard to tell. Uh, that's obviously not something that they disclose openly. The latest that I've heard is that he's getting them about twice a week. Um, and his excuse is, well, A, I'm, I'm very smart. I'm already intelligent. I don't need intelligence briefings. And B, I get briefed by my national security advisors, um, which isn't unheard of. President Obama would often get looped in by his advisors when he was too busy to attend a briefing during the transition, transition period. Uh, the difference is that President Obama wasn't getting briefed by Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who is known to retweet alt-right uh, conspiracy theorists on Twitter all day long. Yeah, so, I mean, he's not known for getting his facts right, and he's the guy that's... Uh, he has a, a that's, loose uh, relationship a with the briefing uh, president-elect is, is known for not getting his facts right, right. right or not caring right. about the facts, perhaps. Right. Um, and one, one example that could point to either... Donald Trump not getting a briefing or just disregarding the facts that he was told in the briefing is uh, 
you'll recall a few days ago, he was angrily tweeting at China that they need to give the drone back or, you know what, just keep it. We don't even want or it just, anymore. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but kind of showing this, this muscular display of, you know, I'm the boss and once I'm the president, everyone's going to listen to me. Um, and then when Trump or when China did give the drone back, Trump's communications team was saying, oh, look, you know, they were so scared of Donald Trump that they gave it back. Um, in fact, the, the China had already agreed to give back the drone several hours before that tweet, um, which my colleague Sharish Date reported yesterday. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's either that he wasn't getting briefings or even when he knows that this is no longer an issue, he still wants to sort of put it out there for his own personal gain. Isn't there a a danger, a risk, particularly when you're the leader of the free world, in tweeting some comment out about an international incident before you know the facts? Yes, I mean, absolutely. am I being old-fashioned here? Absolutely. And that was something that we've seen all throughout the campaign. I mean, every time there is any type of attack, whether terrorist or just violent, he would jump on Twitter and talk about, you know, this radical Islamic threat, and he's the only one who can defeat it. And we, we saw that with Berlin before there was any facts, before there were any suspects, before there were any details about the nature of this attack. He said, you know, he very much framed this as a war against Christians and Muslims, which I'll again say is something that General Mike Flynn talks about a lot. Um, and it's very concerning. I think we've seen a lot of reporting coming out of the State Department where State Department staffers are trying to figure out what to make of his tweets because typically when the president, when the commander-in-chief says something, it's it's very uh, carefully thought out. And when he says something, that's that's administration policy. And so now State Department staffers, you know, political or civil servants who have been there for decades are, are sitting there wondering, you know, is, is this an administration policy that we are at war with Islam? Well, and I would imagine that under the Obama administration and previous administrations, Democratic and Republican, the State Department might have had a chance to weigh in. Absolutely. Uh, and they might have been consulted, particularly the people who have responsibility for a given area of the world. Right. Right. Before the president of the United States would make a statement about what was going on. Definitely. The National Security Council would consult very closely with people at State Department and Defense who, who work in that region. I mean, it, it's kind of a tangent, but, you know, when, with the Hillary Clinton email leaks and the Podesta email leaks, we kind of had a window into how painstaking that process is. There'd be like yeah. a 36-chain email list just going into a tweet, and people made fun of her. But that's honestly kind of the norm um, when you have communications happening that high level, and a simple tweet can send such a significant message to the world. All right. So this was the MO during the Donald Trump's MO during the campaign. It is continued to be his MO as a president-elect, will this is this the way foreign policy is going to be conducted uh, under the Trump White House? I see no evidence that it will change. I mean, I think what we're seeing here is emblematic of Trump's almost a personality disorder. He's an impulsive narcissist, and it, it comes across in his tweets. He he sees himself above consulting with others. Um, even to the extent that we're seeing his cabinet and his advisors shape up, these are people with ideologically opposing ideas. I, I, I think his foreign policy will very much be driven by whatever he feels in the moment, whatever the last person he talks to says. And then there's no reason to think that he'll hesitate before spouting that out to the world. I have this conversation with people all the time, by the way, because they're like, oh, well, the, you know, those tweets were just a distraction from the real agenda of what he's trying to push, right? Like, oh, you know. He's very clever, actually. Yeah, he's, yeah this is it. Which is just like, he's literally just a human nerve 
that just reacts. Right. And there's no long game. Right. There is no long game. There is no devious master plan that he's mm-hmm. working on. Well, let me let me tell you your problem. Mm-hmm. And Anthony, Scar- Anthony Scarmucci <laughs> is one of his advisors. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, he was on MSNBC yesterday, uh, and he was chastising all of us in the media uh, because we make the mistake of taking Donald Trump literally. You have to take it figuratively. Here, here is this little exchange. Yeah. He's a very precise, very te- detailed-oriented guy, and I think he wants to make that press conference happen mm-hmm. when he has all of the answers to yeah. all of the types mm-hmm. of but questions if, that he's going to get thrown at. If so. he's a detail-oriented guy, then how does this statement that we've been hearing for months, don't take him literally, take him seriously, make sense? Because that's sort of the opposite. No, 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 no. Don't take him literally, take him symbolically. Yes. See, it's different. <laughs> see, see. Yeah. Don't take Give him literally. Me. So, I mean, uh, it's just, what world are we living in, right, where you cannot take the president of the United States literally? It's you terrifying. Take, you take him symbolically or figuratively or something. And, right? and in what cases? So, you don't know. It's not 100% right. of the time because then another time he'll be like, well, no, this time I mean it. Well, listen to what I say this time. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a total Jesus. breakdown of communication. I, I think we just have to have, like, um, a sign that he wears right <laughs> around his neck, right? T- literally. Symbolically. Sim- am I, yeah, right. So that we know whether he's talking literally, symbolically, figuratively at any one time. But he might mess but, with you even with the sign, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. But it also means that you cannot. He didn't literally mean literally. <laughs> he meant figuratively, literally. That's what he meant. It means that you cannot believe a word that the president of the United States says. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Tacky. There's no other word to describe it. Tacky. That sums up what the uh, Trump family's up to these days. Father, daughter, and both sons selling themselves off to the highest bidder. Yes, Donald Trump himself sets the pace by refusing to sell off his vast business holdings and continuing to make business deals even while preparing to take the oath of office. And the little Trump apples didn't fall far from the big Trump tree. Daughter Ivanka, of course, still hawking copies of that $10,000 bracelet she wore on 60 Minutes. And now the two sons, Eric and Donald Jr., are getting into the act, auctioning off a photo op with their father and a hunting or fishing expedition with both of them for a cool $1 million on January 21, the day after the inauguration. Yep, there should be a law against it, but there's not. So it may not be illegal, but it's still tacky. And we deserve better. That's my parting shot for today, folks. That's it for today for the Bill Press Show. Have a great Wednesday. Come back and see us tomorrow. This we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill you. Press Show.